a, a mentor told me, um, and it was great advice. He said, you know, one of the things that you could benefit by is remembering the notion of simpler is better, less is more. Power to Live More with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organization, well-being, energy and resilience. Joe Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future. But rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing David Nielsen of DNA Worldwide. Joe first interviewed David on the Engage for Success podcast and then invited him to join us here. David is the founder and CEO of DNA Worldwide, a management consulting firm specialising in the execution of business strategy, implementation and large-scale change. David is a lifelong learner. He spent 18 years in the corporate world and another 33 years consulting to organisations and coaching executives. His book, The Nine Dimensions of Conscious Success, It's All About You, is a reflection of all that David learned on his life journey. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing David Nielsen of DNA Worldwide. Welcome David, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, I'm delighted to be with you. And this is one of the unusual uh, interviews I do in that we've already spoken on a different podcast, haven't we? We, we were, you were on the Engage for Success podcast earlier right. in the year. <laughs> so this, uh, I hope I don't spend the whole uh, interview saying, have I asked you this already? <laughs> 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 so start, David, by telling us who you are, what you do and where you do it. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I uh, spent about 18 years in the corporate world. Um, after graduating from college, I did a few things for a very short period of time, but then um, uh, really decided uh, I, I was raised uh, with a decent work ethic and thought I, I have to get out and find a real job. And so pretty quickly, I joined a company. Uh, my background was all in industrial psychology, uh, undergraduate and graduate work in, in that field. And I spent about 18 years as a corporate world starting out in sales. And then in 1985, I made a pretty significant life and career shift. And I uh, went back to school, got a certificate in organization development. And I then was the director of organization development for a large consumer products company in the United States. And uh, after five or six years doing that work and working with large culture change and uh, sort of employee empowerment kinds of programs uh, at that company, I jumped out, started my own consultancy, and I focused most heavily on organizational change and how to implement changes more successfully. Um, After a number of years, uh, really about six to seven years ago, 
um, after doing that work, both as a managing director for a small boutique firm and then most of the time doing it on my own in my own business, I had uh, some sort of an epiphany or an event in my life where I thought, you know, I'm, I'm approaching the age of 60. Um, seemingly, I should have learned a lot. And, um, and when I began thinking about it, indeed, I, I figured out that maybe I had learned a lot. And I wanted to give something back in the form of helping people learn, and particularly younger people that were focused on finishing up their education or whatever they were doing and, and potentially entering the world of work. Uh, I thought I could give something back uh, to that group. And so I got this crazy idea that I should write a book, never having written a book before. Did a little research and uh, ultimately decided, yes, I can do this. And um, I recently published uh, a couple of years ago the book, The Nine Dimensions of Conscious Success, comma, It's All About You. And it really focused on applying things that I had learned, but also I interviewed quite a large number of people and integrated the data from those interviews into the book and came up again with those nine dimensions. And um, uh, since then, I've continued to consult to organizations in the area of organizational change and executive coaching. Um, and I continue to do that. And uh, now a lot of my focus is on trying to uh, get the book out there and get the message out there more importantly. So that's me. Mm. Lovely. And where are you? Where are you based? I'm in uh, Evergreen, Colorado, which is a mountain town, about 8,000 feet. By the way, it's lovely today, bright sunshine with a lot of snow on the ground. And I live here with my wife and two boxer dogs. Lovely. I reckon, you know, when we think about the, the, the states in terms of, um, or when I think about the states, I always think sort of internet marketers is sort of San Diego way sort of thing. But the amount of people that I've interviewed from your neck of the woods, I, I'm sure if I did some analysis, um, I think I've interviewed more people from Denver, Colorado, all around there than anybody on this podcast. So you must have a little entrepreneurial community over there. <laughs> I think it is. I think also the, um, because it's a, it's a wonderful state, uh, mount, a lot of mountain living. And um, uh, also it's a, um, it's a, I think, very open-minded, broad-minded kind of state um, to the degree that um, we, we really have um, uh, a lot of interesting people, and to your point, entrepreneurs who uh, really focus uh, on learning. And, um, and so it's, I think it's an interesting place to live in addition to just being a wonderful place. Yes, yeah, yeah, lovely. So let's talk a bit about the, the book. We, when we spoke before, we were talking very much about organizations and, and leaders in organizations. But I sort of think very much about the whole concept of leadership of being, you know, sort of ubiquitous. It's, it's, you know, we're all leaders, regardless of whether we're, you know, formally a leader in our, in our organization or whether we work for ourselves or whether we're parents or whether we're, you know, working in the community. And from what I remember from our discussion before, the, the book, you know, applies across all of those sort of areas. It's, it's not particularly corporate focused, is it? It's, it's about leaders. Generally. Well, it's about yourself, isn't it? 
exactly right. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you, you touch on a, an important point, and that is that we're all leaders. You know, I did a lot of work in the space around leadership and leadership development. I learned a lot of the leadership models going back 25 years. And the common thread that runs through an awful lot of them is that fundamentally leadership is about influence. And so anyone can influence. And so much of the training that I did on leadership really focused on the notion that if it's about influence, you can influence up, down, and right and left. You can influence anyone, <clears throat> whether you are technically a person with reporting relationships or direct reports. So yes, it's about influence and your ability to impact. And that's really where a lot of those nine dimensions in the book, I guess I should probably mention them at this point. The nine dimensions very simply are purpose, self-awareness, social awareness, authenticity, work ethic and personal responsibility, then listening, articulation, humor, and gratitude. And so uh, I wrote the book to help people have greater impact tied to the success that they wanted to have in their life. Yeah. So I've been frantically writing these, <laughs> these dimensions down. I think I've got them all. <laughs> and do I remember that three of them are connected or you've got a different level or something in there as well. You're exactly um, right. Thank yeah, you for <laughs> uh, well done. Um, in the center of the model, uh, almost like a, um, uh, a bullseye, if you will, in the center of the model are three that we call the foundational dimensions of success. And they are the first three that I mentioned, purpose, self-awareness, and social awareness. And so, for example, um, starting right at the heart of the model is, you know, are you, are you clear about what you want to, to be? Um, I love a quote that, um, uh, that came, I believe, from Mark Twain, which uh, he said, the, first, uh, the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and the day you figure out why. And um, I have always loved that because for any of us trying to make our way through life, it's a longer journey and perhaps more frustrating if you don't know, you know, what is it I'm trying to accomplish? So we spend a lot of time on that very foundational element before covering anything else. And then the mm -hmm. others that link to the other six really are that, that notion of self-awareness and social awareness. So you're exactly right. The three first dimensions are foundational. Lovely. So, Question for you then is the Mark Twain quote about the day you were born and the day when you found out why. When when was that for you? Probably in uh, about somewhere between 1988 and 1991 when I was going through a lot of changes in my life. I went through a divorce, which was a powerful change, not something I wanted, but probably in retrospect, something that needed to happen. Um, and it, it taught me a lot. I was promoted into a job uh, that I probably was not totally qualified for, so it was an uphill climb for me. Uh, that was the point at which um, I went back and got a certificate in organization development, which started with very fundamental sort of uh, introspective kinds of things, um, going through T groups and getting lots of feedback and really learning about myself. But in all of that process, as I raised my own self-awareness, I began to really emerge out of the other side of all of that, uh, some of which was very difficult, 
um, being clear about, you know, I think what I'm placed on the planet to do is influence others in a positive way and try and help individuals and corporations ensure that their best self is showing up. How important is it for us all to know that, to, to know what our purpose is? And how, how do people find that? That you obviously went through some changes and, and I guess it sort of, sort of fairly naturally evolved from all of that, that that happened at the time. Does everybody go through that, do you think? Um, not necessarily. Um, for some people, the path, I, I've often joked, people, uh, particularly younger people that I've mentored over the years, uh, have said, well, how did you come to do what you're doing? And, you know, is it a, is it a career path or a path that I could follow? And, um, you know, I've, I've joked that I don't think you want to use my, my journey necessarily as the right model. It worked for yeah. me, but it is unique to me and it wouldn't work for everyone. And, and in particular, you know, I would never encourage someone to say, yeah, what you really need to do is go through an emotionally drenching divorce, um, that, you know, will help you raise your self-awareness. Uh, you know, if mm -hmm. you can avoid pain in your life, I'm, I'm all for that, though pain is an effective teacher. But the two mm -hmm. questions that you asked are, um, uh, you know, is it important that you find that out? And, and I think the answer is yes, and it's still a journey, because one of the things that I've spent a lot of time talking about lately, particularly to groups of younger people, is don't feel bad if at 25 your purpose isn't clear. And the biggest question I'm asked is, what if I establish my purpose at 25 or 30? Is it okay that it's going to change? Absolutely it is. Uh, again, the focus should be on the journey. And um, I can look back at things that I may have done in my 20s, and I can then pinpoint, oh, those contributed in significant ways to the ultimate purpose that I achieved. And so um, is it possible that someone would be very clear in their 20s or 30s about their real purpose in life? It's possible, it's just more difficult, I think, but I think it's important to continually ask that question and challenge yourself. As to how can you do it, um, my journey, as I said, worked for me, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But one of the things we did in the book is we talked about how can you write a personal purpose statement? How can you go through the, prop, uh, the process of finding out what your purpose should be? And so we walk you through several steps in, in the, at the end of the book, we provide the steps to create that personal purpose statement. Mm -hmm. I do think self self-awareness and and that sort of self-development piece is is so key and i guess that's why though that purpose from your 20s and maybe even 30s potentially does change because you know until you've really done a lot to become aware of who you are you're only ever making decisions based on a limited amount of information so i suppose we should be expecting people to change their view of what their purpose is mostly rather than unusually if they if you know if people are very determined in their 20s as to, to what that is because that must be more unusual than than um than common for it to be so clear and not change given self-awareness does make those changes i think that's exactly right and um 
you know, there's a certain element, it's, it ties to the notion of gratitude and humor in my book, I think, is that in those early phases, you know, if, if it's possible to avoid, you know, big, really critical mistakes, great, that's good. But, you know, the journey, part of the, the secret to really fulfillment or success in life is that the journey can be really fun. And, you know, I have been able to, I start the book out with a story of when I was first learning how to water ski. I won't uh, uh, bore you with the story, but the basic story was about falling down a lot. And, um, and basically looking back on it, it was really quite comical. And I can look at it with a great deal of humor. And, you know, it was fun. Um, and so for younger people, um, you know, maybe there's a bit of advice. Don't be too much in a hurry. Yes, focus on what you want in your life and how to achieve it and so forth. But enjoy the ride a little bit, I guess is the point. Mm. I remember you uh, briefly sharing that story on, on the other podcast. And I, I don't think I mentioned at the time, it immediately keyed me back into a memory I have of my, my dad. who He died when I was 19. Um, but I don't know, when I was probably... 10, 11, 12, he decided to take up water skiing. I think he went once. And um, it was probably that moment in my life when I realized that my dad wasn't infallible because I watched him <laughs> exactly probably as you've described, you know, yeah. like hunkered down in the water, the boat pulls him, you know, goes to go. And instead of him like coming up gracefully, he just went flat on his face into the water, uh, pulled over, over by the boat instead of uh, up by the boat. <laughs> and right. uh, yeah, you know, I think back, I think that's probably actually the first the first time I realized that he he wasn't you know brilliant at everything which obviously you know you think your parents are <laughs> for most of your sort of young life don't you <laughs> okay. so um we talked a bit about humor again when we um spoke before and I really love the fact that it's in in there as as one of the dimensions um partly because a, a lot of what I do has sort of humor threaded into it in, in some way but I was saying to you before we um, started recording that when I started my career in retail HR I used to actually get sort of counseled quite often to sort of tone tone myself down <laughs> because I can be quite flippant and I can be quite sort of uh, uh, well in fact when I was young they used to tell me off for giggling all the time which was was not doing my gravitas any good and I still <laughs> giggle now and actually get complimented on it now <laughs> Maybe you're allowed to giggle when you're 50. I don't know. <laughs> Discuss. What are your thoughts about the whole uh, humour thing in terms of, uh, of the dimension? Well, number one, um, I look at things like that, many things like that, in terms of are they useful? Uh, so the, the question somebody, you know, in some of my coaching or mentoring of people, people will say, well, I'm thinking about doing such and such. What do you think? And one of my opening questions is always, well, what's the utility or how would it be useful to you? And um, so with humor, I look at the usefulness of humor. Uh, one, <clears throat> it can be fun. There, uh, there's uh, quite a large body of scientific research that talks about the endorphins that are released when people laugh and smile and so on and so forth. And that it, um, it's a very positive impact on the, on the human body, on the human system. Uh, secondly, it's a wonderful stress reliever. And so I think it is useful to the degree that 
um, I can look back and the ability to laugh at myself and laugh at situations has helped me get through some very difficult ones. So I think it's useful um, and helpful in that regard. And to the point where, you know, you were sort of uh, coached to uh, uh, tamp it down a bit. Here's the other thing that I believe. Um, one of the other dimensions, <clears throat> the sixth or the, 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 the after the foundational three, the first dimension that I talk about is authenticity. And so to the degree that, you know, you do enjoy humor and you, um, you may find humor in things and giggle a bit and so on and so forth, that's a part of who you are. And so, um, you know, people probably very quickly learn when they spend time around you that that's your authentic self. That's, that's not in any way false. That's really who you are. And I think uh, to the degree that you can have a sense of humor and see the humor in things as a part of who you are, that's true authenticity. Uh, I myself find humor in a lot of things and I have, you know, from time to time I'm a bit irreverent and, you know, I have to be careful that it doesn't come off as offensive, but by the same token, um, you know, I can look at situations in corporations and just say, wow, isn't that uh, ironic or, and so I think there's a close relationship between, um, between irreverence and irony, I guess. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling, but the authentic part of you is humor. And so uh, I say embrace it. Mm. And there's quite a movement in corporate um, now for the whole sort of bring yourself or bring your whole self to work um, being important. You know, how, how do you enable people um, to really be themselves and not sort of put all their sort of um, personality, you know, in a bag at the door and, and sort of come in and, and fit the corporate um, model or, or, or pattern or whatever. And I mean, it, it certainly feels for me, not in the corporate world, in half of my business, that people who work for themselves, some of the reason some of us do that is so that we don't have to conform and so we do have the flexibility to be who we are. Um, do you think there's more personal development goes on in not in corporate um, than in the corporate? And uh, and I was going to say, if so, why? But, you know, whatever your answer is, why? <laughs> well, that's it's an excellent question. And I, if you think about uh, the connection between an individual and their own self-awareness um, uh, or their own frame of reference, who they are as a person. If you elevate that to the corporate level of that, that notion of frame of reference, what you have is culture. So all organizations, all corporations have a culture. And I talk a little bit in the book, in fact, about, you know, what is your purpose and how do you want to show up in life and use that as a tool as you look at companies you may want to go to work for. Do your own values, do, does the, um, you know, the basic purpose that you have, does it line up with the organization in which you may want to work? If the answer is no, I would never say, well, boy, you're just not going to make it in that company. I would say, I think you'll work really hard to fit in. And, um, and, you know, that may be a choice because you want to be there and so forth. But um, I don't think organizations for many years, as I was growing up in business, I don't think uh, people emphasized 
self-awareness. And, um, and by the way, even back then, there was research that said being highly self-aware was a contributing factor to executive success. It's kind of always been that way. But I don't think many corporate organizations um, emphasize that or encourage that. And so that was one of the things that was, you know, if I show up to work and, and I'm going to be successful in this organization, I have to do it in a way that is acceptable to executives and to the culture. And um, I think what that results in is a lot of people being inauthentic to survive in a corporate world. And so I think more and more organizations, you and I talked, have talked uh, several times on this whole notion of engagement. If people are going to be truly engaged and there are great um, benefits to employee engagement uh, in its relationship to corporate performance, I think if people are going to be truly engaged, one of the starting points is they feel as though they are allowed to be themselves when they come to work. You're exactly right. You made a comment. Um, you know, people don't park their personal life at the door once they walk in. No. Yeah. So how, how are you working with people now? So you, you said things have changed in the last few years. Obviously, you've written a book and, and a, 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 sort of the focus is about getting that out there. You've talked about working with young people. What, what do your days look like now? Um, I'm doing less work on the corporate level. Um, uh, I still have coaching clients, and I was doing a lot of individual coaching side-by-side side with the organizational change work. I'm still doing a little bit of change work. I'm now doing it um, sort of in partnership with some other consultants that I'm mentoring, and so helping organizations implement large-scale change um, is still a, a, a part of what I do and some of the expertise that I have. However, um, I'm, I'm now, you, you mentioned, you know, somebody that uh, sort of works at home and, and is able to do, make a living doing that. And um, you're wonderfully successful in that regard. I'm doing more now that does not require jumping on an airplane. So I'm doing more of these interviews, podcasts, I'm still doing coaching, and I realize that I can do coaching, um, you know, remotely in some cases. So I'm mentoring some people. I'm working in the background on large organizational change projects. But a lot of the work that I'm doing now is shifting toward can I, can I support the book that I wrote uh, and make personal connections? Did that mm. do a good job of answering that question? It did. It did. And it leads me to my next question, which is, you know, it sounds like – quite a varied schedule uh, and you know we talked before we came on about the fact that I do corporate work still as well as uh, work from home and so you know I I know how complicated it can be at times to keep all those um, balls in the air how how are you doing that how do you ensure that you get done what you need to get done well it sort of relates to um it sort of relates to some of the things that you're doing in your five fundamentals. Um, simplify and systemize um, are the two, the first two fundamentals that you, that you talk about. I really, years ago, a, a mentor told me, um, and it was great advice. He said, you know, one of the things that you could benefit by is remembering the notion of simpler is better, less is more. And um, 
I think that it's, uh, I could go on and on for this, but let me make two or three key points. Number one, the world in which we live is perhaps not allowing us as much to focus on focus, uh, to be focused in what we're doing, um, et cetera. And what I'm fascinated by is I've studied and looked at it. I'm like you, somewhat of a self-learner, and I'm a voracious. I'm, I'm naturally curious. I'm curious about people and their behavior. And so I read a huge amount and a wide variety of things. And I'm fascinated by this notion, and that is with all of this technology that we have that's available to us. And by the way, I, I, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's great. I openly admit I'm, I don't spend any time on Facebook. I'm not, I'm not very uh, engaged in a lot of the social media, but I'm fascinated by it based on this point, And that is with all of this increased technology to connect us, I believe we're becoming more disconnected. And the significance of that is that, you know, there's fascination with the, uh, there's fascination with the technology. And particularly, uh, I think there's data that supports this, particularly with a lot of younger people. But if we are doing that at the expense of being able to connect as human beings, then I think we're losing something. So number one, um, in answer to your question, I try to stay very focused on what's most important. Um, in, in simplifying things, you know, if I have 12 things to do, uh, and I'm a list maker, um, one of my favorite apps is um, AnyList. It's a great app for grocery lists or, you know, to-dos or whatever. Anyway, my wife and I both use it a lot, and we can share it so we can, we can share each other's lists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at any rate, uh, I try to stay focused and that's some of the consulting that I do with organizations as well. A lot of organizations fail, um, uh, to really achieve the strategic imperative they have or fail to achieve the success they have because they're distracted, distracted by too many things. So focus becomes critical. Simplifying is a real skill set. Um, and then having those systems, systemizing your life uh, so that you can, in fact, stay focused. And I always talk about keep the important stuff, the important stuff. Mm, yeah. yeah, I like that. I think as well, for me, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a moving feast as well. I think it's about focusing on focusing, <laughs> as in sort of constantly thinking about self-awareness, you know, constantly thinking, is this working? You know, did I focus on what I should have focused on? What would have helped sure. me to do that better? And, and sort of tweaking as you go. It's certainly something that, that, that I, I seem to be um, doing a lot of, albeit, as I, as I say, on a regular basis on here, not changing my to-do list app anymore. I found one that uh, is keeping me um, connected um, for, for what's well, been years now. I used to, I used to reorganize myself every so often when I felt like I wasn't achieving what I needed to achieve. And of course that was just a procrastination. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you an, as just a very quick sort of interesting sidelight story about, um, about simplifying and, and staying focused. Um, a lot of it has to do with, I think also, and, and, and this is key to establishing your purpose and being able to then drive to those things, investing time in those things that truly 
link to the purpose. I talk about, are you living your life on purpose? Are you living it deliberately, number one? And number two, are you living it on the purpose that you have set out for yourself? And I think that for all of us and for companies, frankly, there's a wonderful benefit in the notion of decluttering. And the very quick story I'll tell is that recently we have a pantry in our kitchen that we <clears throat> keep a lot of food in. And um, for a number of reasons, I decided I was home one day and, and had a fairly open day. And I thought I couldn't find something in the pantry. And I thought I, I've got to do something about this. I literally started pulling everything out of the pantry and placing it on the, the counter outside the pantry. And I did um, a couple of things. Number one is that I started looking at dates. There are date codes on most foods. And so I started looking at the dates and my goodness, we had foods and jars and things that went back to 1999. And I thought, one, that's silly. And two, that can't be healthy. I'm not going to open this up and <laughs> consume it. And they were things that had been gifts or people, we had bought things and never used them. Anyway, um, I dramatically removed the sort of the inventory or reduced the inventory in that pantry. Probably by about 70%, I filled up two large garbage cans with out-of-date foods and a couple of benefits. Number one, now we can be more focused on if we're going to eat something in the pantry, it's healthy, it's not out-of-date. Two is there's a great sense of cleansing for me to get rid of all that stuff. And now it's much more uh, effective and easier to find things in the pantry. So yeah. there's that could be a parallel for, you know, do we need to declutter our life from time to time? Absolutely. I completely uh, agree with that. I've recently done that in my kitchen and I'm doing that in my office uh, as my next project as well. As you say, it's, uh, it's, it's motivating. It allows you to see what you have got and, uh, and to sort of um, just feel clearer <laughs> and more focused. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. So we've, we've talked about you being a, a learner. Your bio says you're a lifelong learner. What sort of, I mean, I think you said you, you read. What other ways do you, uh, do you ensure that you keep learning? Well, I do, in fact, use um, technology in that regard because it's efficient and I can get access to certain things fast. I, I have to limit certain applications so because the sheer volume of information that's available out there is overwhelming. But I have uh, two, maybe sometimes three news outlets that I use or applications. And the benefit of those, and everybody knows this, but um, it's helpful to me because you can use news apps generally and you can filter what kind of news you want to see things that you're interested in. And then they all send you, you know, the reminders or breaking news or whatever it is. So I do that. I like to stay up to date on what's happening in the world and also in my local in Colorado or Denver. Um, so that's very helpful. There are a couple of others that I use. You and I talked about the, the fascination and the incredible value of Google. So I use Google a lot because I can so quickly transform a basic question that I have or just something that struck me about, well, isn't that interesting? I wonder about whatever it might be. Yeah. And you can so very quickly, you, do, you still have to do a fair bit of filtering from time to time, but so very quickly you can find out a lot and learn a lot. Uh, there's another, uh, I, I find that too, you know, one of my rules in life is um, you get what you give in life. 
And so to the degree that I'm out there with the book and I'm participating in podcasts and we're sending books out and joining certain websites and that kind of stuff, you know, I get a lot of things that um, are articles and so forth. Uh, there are a couple of the, that I have used a lot, but partly because they tie it to the book. Ladders is a is a great um, application and website, and they they do a lot of articles, and I get some great articles um, uh, on um, on people and learning and those kinds of things. And so I read a lot of that. Uh, Ken Blanchard wrote the foreword to my book, and um, I've, I've been a great admirer of Ken Blanchard, and his company is really great about sending out various articles. And, uh, you know, the, the beauty of a lot of this stuff is people are not trying to make a buck necessarily. They're giving it back to the planet, which I think is so great. And so, ladders, Ken Blanchard, um, there's some great stuff on emotional intelligence out there that I learned from. Uh, but again, it mm -hmm. can be reading or it can just be <clears throat> a quick Google on a question that I have and right away I'm, I'm learning. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd uh, second Ken Blanchard that I, uh, I grew up in the corporate world reading all the one minute manager books. <laughs> oh yeah. In fact, <clears throat> in fact um, I, I mentioned to you before we came on that I started uh, my first uh, part of my career working in a supermarket in the UK and, uh, we did a lot of training around the One Minute Manager, including One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. And uh, <laughs> it got so embedded in the culture that if somebody came, so uh, I'm sure you've read it, but the bit about um, you've, you've got all these monkeys on your back and you go to somebody and you say, can you help me with this? And they go, yeah, leave it with me. And at that point, the monkey jumps off your back and jumps onto their back. And the, the, the premise of the book was, you know, you don't want to take everyone's monkeys because it's, you know, too much so because it got embedded in the culture in in uh, Safeway what used to happen is if somebody came up and said to you oh I'm really stuck with this can you help and and um, instead of actually going yeah leave it with me you'd start pretending to feed the monkey <laughs> right. and say you can keep it but how can I help you to deal with it sort of thing and uh, it, uh, it was such a, a good sort of metaphor for for the issue that, that we were having with, uh, you know, people just sort of abdicating responsibility for things. That, uh, well, there's, there's a wonderful learning point there. And I think you're, you're hitting on something critical, which is that, that incredibly important distinction. I'm willing to help you and I'm not willing to have you let the monkey jump on my back. Mm -hmm. And um, the key thing is, you know, the degree to which, and it's, uh, it's fundamental to behavior and reinforcement, um, to the degree that you're willing to take somebody else's monkey, you know, leave it with me, that just enables the behavior uh, for others that, uh, oh, this is great. Whenever I have a problem, I go to Joe and she solves it for me, mm. which in the moment seems like, oh, what a wonderful thing that I'm doing to help that person. But in reality, what we're doing is we're enabling the wrong behavior and we're not developing or helping the individual develop, particularly around their problem solving skills. No, exactly. And also, quite often we're not solving it for them. We're just getting more and more um, bogged down and, and buried amongst a load of tasks that we haven't got time to do. <laughs> and so right. we don't actually do them. We just end up feeling terrible because, you know, they're on a very long list of, of things that we need to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, just before I ask you my last two questions, you, you mentioned that... Um, there's a, an assessment in the book around the um, dimensions. I, I guess that's a way of people working out 
what they need to focus on in terms of, of the dimensions? How, how does it work? Um, yes, the, the website is davidenielsen.com, and uh, it's David E, and then I'll spell the last name, N-I-E-L-S-O-N, davidenielsen.com, and you can go online and um, you can take the assessment. Um, we, we do charge, I think it's a nominal fee of about $25, but the assessment is quite extensive. We spend a lot of time and investment in making this a good assessment that not only raises your self-awareness around the nine dimensions, but based on the score. So you, you, ask, or you uh, answer a series of questions that have a five-point scale. Um, and then we've indexed that scale to a score of one, two, or three on that particular question. And you get a report within 48 hours. So if you go online, uh, you complete the assessment, you get a report within 48 hours that gives you the scores and, and uh, gives you the scores on those dimensions. And for each of the, so if you scored a one, um, uh, that means there's probably room for a lot of improvement. If you scored a three on a particular question or on the dimension, then, you know, that's probably something that uh, uh, you already feel as though you've got handled, you do it well. Uh, the lower scores then we provide very specific recommendations on how can you improve that particular area. And um, again, it starts, the, the fundamental point of it is I'm raising, it is a self-assessment, but I'm, I'm raising my own self-awareness on um, how I perform on these nine dimensions. And then the second thing it allows you to do is um, we talk about how do you create an action plan that focuses on not trying to do nine things or focus on nine dimensions, but maybe what are the two, three maximum things that you want to work on? And it allows you to narrow your focus on high impact kinds of actions that will help you improve. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. So last couple of questions then. Firstly, um, what about those days when it all goes horribly wrong, when things don't happen as you were expecting or whatever? How, how do you deal with that? Well, I think it's human nature for a lot of people to get caught up in the, um, uh, in the frustration that occurs there. Um, and there are any number of reactions that you can have that I would say are not useful. One of the reactions that wouldn't be useful is to blame yourself or get down on yourself. Uh, I think another, and we talk about this in the book, another reaction when things don't go well that is horribly destructive is to blame others. Um, the the short-term benefit of blaming is that in, you know, the first 60 seconds, maybe we feel better because we blame somebody else and, you know, we don't have to take responsibility. The problem is you still don't have the desired result you were hoping for. Um, and so that, that feeling of, oh, God, I feel so much better now that I blame someone else, that feeling is very short-lived. So the first thing that I think is most critical is even if you're frustrated, is to have the awareness that this is frustrating to me. I'm going to acknowledge it and I'm going to own it. But the single most important question for me to ask right now is, first, what am I supposed to learn from this? That Asking that question consciously, literally, out loud, however you want to do it, has the effect of sort of offloading the emotional reaction of either anger or frustration, and it shifts the whole focus on what am I going through right now. 
And so if I'm willing to take the time, now I'm, I'm talking about situations that aren't, you know, crisis or emergencies, but uh, in the moment, if I just stop and say, what am I supposed to learn from this? It allows me to calm down a bit. It allows me to focus on something that is going to be useful rather than non-useful. And um, it checks my frustration at that point. And if I do it well enough, you know, I can then turn that learning into, well, number one, I don't want to repeat this experience. Uh, number two, what am I going to do about it real time right now? Is that yeah, helpful? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. It's funny, I was listening to a podcast um, this week and somebody was talking about um, things when they go wrong and the learning from them. And they, they described... Um, they were interviewing somebody who'd had a terrible experience in her life and they called it a masterclass. And it was really funny because, well, not funny, but all the way through the podcast, they kept referring to, you know, the thing about a masterclass is, and of course it was, you know, it was a, a way to describe, you know, something that's happened that wasn't great, but, you know, it's it's always a learning opportunity, which, you know, sort of fits with what you've just said. So, um Yeah, it allows yeah, you to take something that's not pleasant and turn it into something that is of value. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so the last question that I ask everybody is, on those days where you get to live more, and that's where I talk about getting to do more of the things that you want to do and fewer of the things that you don't want to do, what does that day look like for you? Well, time to your, <clears throat> again, two of the fundamentals, simplifying and systemizing, um, to a little bit, uh, actually, I'll give you an answer that, that may even incorporate all of your five fundamentals. One is for <laughs> me so. to look at um, via the fact that I do lists, and part of it is just, a again, a good tool for me to stay focused on what's important. Um, hugely rewarding to be able to cross things off the list and at the end of the day sort of take inventory. So, um, when I have really had a chance to live more, I can look at my day potentially at the end of the day, but even at times during the day and say, one, <clears throat> am I on purpose? Am I accomplishing the things that I wanted to? Two, and I'm using the list to do that. Two is um, my wife and I often, uh, you know, will share things. Uh, one of the things that we have done frequently over the years, we don't do it every day, but uh, because we both travel and we're not always together, but particularly on the weekends, we might say um, we're having a glass of wine and we'll say, what were um, the, the greatest things that happened this week? And we just share uh, information about the greatest things. And those might be just things that happened serendipitously, or they might be things that we accomplished. Um, and so it's helpful to be able to do that and share with another person, you know, why your week or your day was so great. I think the other thing that um, really ties to me living more is, and I've said this for many, many years after some epiphany years ago, which is, you know, one of the most critical things in life, I think, for all of us is balance. Extremes, I think, are not very useful or helpful to people. And so one of the things that um, I'll look at in terms of living more is, okay, I got some things done and I was productive, but also what did I do that contributed to my health in a, in a positive way? Well, 
I had a really healthy meal. I walked, you know, two miles or whatever it might have been. Um, and also, what did I do that day that I found to be fun? Um, and a guy years ago gave me a definition of things that you do for fun. They are things that don't have a prescribed outcome or, you know, as he used golf as an example. Actually, I used golf. He, he asked me, um, he was a guy that um, wrote several books on this notion of work-life balance and fun and this, that, and the other thing. And he asked me the question, well, so you play golf for fun? And I said, yeah, I find it to be fun. And he said, do you keep score? And I said, well, of course, you know, being an avid mm-hmm. golfer, you know, who would, who would play golf without keeping score? And his argument, rightly or wrongly, and people could disagree with it, was, well, then that may not be fun because you're doing it with a specific purpose. A lot of things in life that you might do that are fun don't have a score at the end of it or a specific outcome. The very um, activity, the, the very practice of doing it is just fun and enjoyable, and you do it uh, regardless of whether there's an outcome or not. So that notion of, yes, productivity balance, and you talk about self-care, doing things that um, are going to be healthy for me. That's a great day for me at the end of the day that tells me I've really lived more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, I like that concept of, as you say, just doing things just because you, you are. I mean, I, I'm actually thinking back to my late father-in-law and his golfing, how he used to say golfing was enjoyable, and yet there were times when he would not be happy <laughs> having got to the end of a game. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, maybe that, that's, that's part of it, that uh, if you're trying to I mean, achieve something, maybe it has a different, if you don't achieve it, that it has more of a negative than... than I have, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about one thing that's a part of that balance in life too. Um, you know, you talk about self-care. What do I do to uh, relax? Things like reading, hiking, uh, my wife and I have an Airstream trailer, and we're, we're newbies to Airstreaming, but I think traveling around in the Airstream is going to be fun. But we have two dogs. Oh, yeah. And the beautiful thing, mm-hmm. and some people are dog people, some people are cat people. The beautiful thing about dogs is, uh, number one, unconditional love. They, they don't care what kind of a day you're having. They love you just the same, and they're willing to demonstrate that love. And mm-hmm. they're so joyful just watching them, just watching them do things. Um, there isn't a purpose or a result. It's just the ability to be, to experience life with my dogs. And that's a great part of that um, living more as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, as, a, as a fellow, um, I, I have a caravan. It's not as posh as your, your um, uh, did you say it was Airst- an Airstream? Airstream, yes. Yes, yeah. My caravan's nowhere near as posh as yours, but uh, you're, uh, yeah, as a fellow, as a fellow um, uh, traveling holiday person, <laughs> yes. I can uh, buy into that. It, uh, a lot of my podcasts um, in the summer and, and into the autumn um, have been recorded from a field in the middle of nowhere somewhere. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, there's a wonderful, you probably have it in the UK as well. I'm having a, uh, a decal made for the back of our airstream and it's, uh, it's it's not an original thought somebody came up with it years ago but i love the saying all who wander are not lost ah yes love it <laughs> lovely well david has been great interviewing you again um uh, tell everyone how they can find out more about you and get in touch 
Yes, the easiest way is that website, again, davidenielson.com. You can take the assessment online. For the book itself, you can buy it on Amazon. And uh, there's a, a good bit about me at the, uh, uh, at the end of the book. Um, it gives you some of my bio, and there's a, a bit about me on the website as well. That's the best way. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Joe, and thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. Stop feeling stuck and overwhelmed. Join Power to Live More Calm membership today and make an investment in your future. The Power to Live More Calm membership is designed for coaches and consultants struggling with the pressures of running a home-based business. You get access to our supportive community, including weekly Zoom calls, accountability, learning materials teaching you online marketing, audience building, income generation, and all sorts of other things you need to run your home-based business with ease, along with materials like templates, checklists, and planners to keep you motivated, organised, and productive. To learn more about the Power to Live More Calm membership programme and apply, visit powertolivemore.com slash get calm. Use your power to live more.